You guys feel free to have a seat. Let's just stay in that posture of prayer for just a minute. I just want to ask, I felt like the Lord just kind of laid this on me. Is, do you have a prayer need this morning? If you do, would you just lift a hand up? I just want to take a second and pray for you. Anyone have a prayer need this morning? That Okay, I see you. All right. Lord, you, you know every heart, God. You know exactly what's going on in our world, um, what, we're, what we're walking through, what we're thinking about, our burdens, our anxiety, our fear. God, we just ask that you would cast out that fear with your perfect love right now, that you would just rest upon this room. Jesus, you told us that the Holy Spirit would come to be our helper and our comforter. And so right now, I just ask for Holy Spirit to just give us that comfort and that peace and that assurance that we have promised for us through your mercy, Jesus. And God, I pray that you would just encourage us right where we are to know, God, that you are working as we are waiting. Just like that song says, even when we can't see it, know you're working and so we just lean into you now we we lift our eyes up we hold our hands out and surrender we say yes and amen to how it is that you're moving and we just thank you that you are a God who is not ambivalent to even the minor details of our lives but you intentionally care so firm so passionately care about every detail and so God thank you that you are that invested and that in tune and that in love with us and I pray God that you would deepen our love and our trust and our faith in you even today we pray in Jesus name amen amen hey can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning just tell him that you love give him your best for just a second come on Hey, also, let's welcome everyone joining us online this morning. We want to make them feel part of the family. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us online. All right. And let's, can we also just honor our worship team for a minute? Can we thank them for leading us the way they do week in and week out? We're so appreciative of that. Well, we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, before we do, I want to just remind you, small groups are cranking up. September 5th, they're going to launch. And so we would love for you to be praying about maybe being a leader of a small group. Um, if you want more information, you can see Pastor Aaron about that, and he is more than glad to help walk with you through discerning maybe what it is that you want to lead or even what it is that you may be looking for in a smaller group of people, a smaller community. He's, he, he would love to do that. You can email him at Aaron at declaration.org. Let's jump right in this morning. We're going to be in week two of our series called One More Letter. Um, I want to start like this. Anybody ever read the book Mere Christianity? Anybody ever read that book? C.S. Lewis? Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, quotes a man named Samuel Johnson. And in that quote, this is what he says. He says, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. People need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Now, last week, we saw Paul doing this very thing in what is known to be really some of his final thoughts. I mean, passionately written not to any of the churches that he planted, not to any of the cities that he was invested in, but really written to 
an individual, this one person, his, um, his protege, his disciple, his spiritual son, Timothy. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. And, and here we see Paul. He's already done the instructing, right? He's poured his life out before Timothy. He's included Timothy into the ministry. I mean, he's, he's kind of grafted him in and he's delegated some things to him. So he's already done the instructing. Um, he's done the instructing. And then now what we're reading is really his final letter that he's writing and, and he's reminding Timothy of what he deems to be the more important things. Like, please don't forget this. I mean, remember, he, he's writing this in, in, in what would be known as probably his final hours where we must assume that he is understanding that his execution is imminent. So these are deeply important things that Paul desperately wants Timothy to literally write into his heart so that he will never forget them. He wants Timothy to carry the, the, these messages and obviously the message of the gospel, he wants him to carry that mantle and that ministry on that he had begun. He's passing the torch, if you will. So here's the things that he wants him to think about. Let me just quickly review chapter one from last week. And I'd love for you to go back and listen because there's a lot there and I'm gonna spend like three minutes here. But basically Paul in chapter one says, Timothy, stir up the passion, rekindle the gift of God. Or to say it another way, he says, don't get discouraged. Don't let anything get you down. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to intimidation. Don't give in to humiliation. Don't give in to persecution. All those things will come. Don't give in to the feelings of isolation when people desert you, because they will. I mean, he, he says all these things. And, and, and really he says, stir it up, right? Rekindle the passion, become even more impassioned continue to put yourself in a position to fan the fires of God in your heart and in your life because of Jesus and because of the gospel, stir it up, fan it into flame, so to start a wildfire. Okay, Whew, that was a lot. You have to take a little asthma medicine and say, <laughs> that was a lot, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, rekindle the passion. Also, he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of this ministry. And don't be ashamed of me, your spiritual father. But rather, he says this, and this is sober. He says, be willing to suffer if need be. Be willing to suffer for the gospel as Jesus did, as I have done and am doing and will continue to do. He's telling Timothy, at all times, Timothy, remember who you are, remember what you're called to, but more importantly, remember the why. Remember the why behind the what. Remember the why of your calling. Remember the why of your mantle. Remember the why of the ministry. And here it is, verse 10 of chapter one. Here's the why. He said, our savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says, this is your why. Never forget it. So important. So therefore, hold on to sound teaching, Timothy, because you're going to need it. Because the wind will come and the waves will rock you. You've got to hold on to sound teaching. You've got to guard the good deposit. To not be, do not be discouraged when people leave you. And trust me, Timothy, they will. I've told Jaden more times than not, if I started this sentence, he was up here, he would finish the sentence for me. Everybody wants to be at the party. Nobody wants to set it up. Nobody clean it up. And nobody really wants to pay for it. But everybody wants to be at the party. <laughs> And so Paul's saying, hey, people are going to desert you. They're going to hurt you. He's recalling those that he called out from that province in Asia. They're going to desert you. But he says this. He ends chapter 1 by saying, but honor, honor those, pray for those, and bless those who honor and pray for you and bless you. Honor them. And he speaks of, of that man with a strange name, Anisaphorus, that I, I'm surprised I can still say. 
I worked hard. I even did the Google, how do you say? Anybody ever done that? It's fascinating. Little computer lady goes, I miss FRS. <laughs> it's awesome. Anyway, so these are just the first reminders that Paul says. And we've got to keep in mind, please don't forget the frame of mind that we should be hearing and reading and studying here is these words are coming from a man who knows that he is going to die within hours, days. You got to know that there's a different posture as you think and write if this is what you know is coming. And so this is what's coming and this is why he's writing. There is a passionate urgency to his tone in these final words. So now he begins chapter two by saying this. He kind of starts chapter two, verse one. We're gonna look at it together. But he says, be strong in grace. God's riches paid for at the expense of the life of Jesus, lavished upon your life. You can find strength in the grace that we only can find in Jesus. Be strong. He's basically saying, be dedicated. Remain dedicated, Timothy. Look at verse one. He says, you therefore, my child. I love how Paul begins with his endearing term or a term of endearment, if you will. He's encouraging Timothy. You've got to endure. Be strong. He's got an affection for Timothy. I mean, almost like a father-son relationship. He's poured a lot of his life into Timothy and he sees Timothy as the heir apparent to this mantle and this ministry. And he says, be strengthened, Timothy. Be renewed, be empowered, Timothy, in the riches of God that Jesus died to purchase for your provision. Find your strength in the Lord. Find your hope in the Lord. Find your passion in God. Find your purpose in God. Remain planted in the grace of God and be strong, be dedicated. See, it's by the grace of God that you have salvation. It's by the grace of God that you have your calling. And it's by the grace of God that you will be sustained. So be dedicated, Timothy. Be strong. He continues verse 2. He says, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many, what you've heard me teach over and over, what you've seen me do, the interactions, what you've heard me say, commit, these me commit this message to faithful men who will also be able to teach it to others. Paul's saying here, pass down, Timothy, what has been passed down to you. He's saying, as you have been discipled, Timothy, become one who also disciples. He's saying, Timothy, I've poured my life into you. Now you go and you do the same. But as you do it, entrust this message that I'm giving you. This is a profound, life-changing, world-changing message. Entrust it to those faithful men who will also pass it down to others. He's saying, be wise in who it is that you choose to disciple, Timothy. But do it and disciple them. In fact, be my disciple who makes disciples who will then go and make disciples. Listen, this is an important word for you and me today because this is the last thing Jesus told us to do before he ascended into heaven. That we would be about making disciples. And so this message is framed from a dying man's lips to the heart of his young apprentice, but also speaks through time to 2021 right here at Declaration Church, Spring, Texas. Welcome to the party. Here we go. You ready? It's important. It's our calling. He goes on, verse 3. And this is where it starts to get warm and fuzzy like a good Hallmark movie at Christmas time. You ready? Share in suffering. <laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. That's what he says. He says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Share in the suffering. I mean, this is a theme that Paul spoke of often. In fact, it's really a theme of being a disciple. More modern Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you've read any of Bonhoeffer's work, if I could just kind of sum up his life message, it's this. To be a disciple is to come and die. 
to come and die. Basically, Bonhoeffer is just mimicking the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 9, where he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he's saying, come and die. I mean, you've got to be willing to share in the sufferings. This is not an abnormal statement from someone who is following Jesus. Peter did the same thing. As Peter was writing to all of God's people who had been scattered all over. I mean, they're throughout Cappadocia and Galatia and Asia, Pontius, Bithynia, all these places. Peter even says in chapter 2, he starts with this frame of, hey, listen, church, be holy. But look what he says to the people in verse 21 of chapter 2. Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you a what? Oh, come on, everybody. Leaving you a what? Example. Example. See, I need you to talk back to me. I start getting lonely up here and it gets weird. All right? He says, leaving you as example. Be willing to share in the suffering if that's what you're called to do. He's saying endure. Endure even when it's tough. And then Paul goes into these three illustrations. And I'll just kind of fly through these quickly. First, he says this faithful soldier. He goes on in verse 4. To please the recruiter, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of everyday life. So he's saying, listen, Timothy, remember, as a soldier, you're just different. You don't have the luxury of regular, ordinary life. You're set apart. You're not to be concerned with the common things because you're not common. You're not not a civilian anymore, so you can't get yourself entangled in normal, ordinary, just like regularly programmed life of civilization. He's saying, you you got to operate from a different identity now, Timothy, because you're not just a common civilian. In fact, because of Jesus and because of the calling on your life, you are anything but common. I mean, he's, listen to me, please, please hear this. It's easy sometimes to read something even in scripture, and, and just say, well, that was, that's really powerful for Paul to say to Timothy. <laughs> but listen, Paul is saying this to us too. We're not common. We are to be set apart, and we'll see it more in just a second. So this is speaking to us. Paul says you're a soldier, which means you got to think like a soldier. you got to act like a soldier. you got to react like a soldier. you got to operate like a soldier. Paul gives Timothy this other illustration in verse 5. He says, also think about an athlete. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So a good athlete is one who operates out of integrity. He doesn't cheat. Um, he's willing to do the hard things. He's willing to put in the work. Uh, third one, he, he talks about farming, you know. Uh, believe it or not, I was, a, I, was a, I was a farm boy as a kid. Do you believe that? <laughs> I really was. This is what he says. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to be first to get a share of the crop. So he gives these three illustrations, trying to give Timothy a level of understanding just to break it down to where maybe he can see it. And then in verse 7, he goes, hey, look, consider what I say, for the Lord's going to give you understanding in everything, right? Like you're, you're going to get this. You're going to mature into this. God is going to, he's going to give you everything you need. Keep in mind, Jesus risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel. So it's almost like you're kind of peeking into a, a conversation, a one-way conversation. And he kind of gets, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Just keep this in mind. And here's what he says. Always remember the resurrection. It's, it's so important. It's so important. Keep in mind, remember the resurrection. Remember Jesus, the one who was prophesied to come. The, 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 he's from the seed of David. Verse 9, Paul, put, he doubles down. He says, it's for this I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. He says, it is so important. I'm willing to let it cost me my life. I'm willing to let it take away my freedom. And remember who Paul is. He was Saul. 
He had it going on. He had the right pedigree. He had the right money. He had the right popularity. I mean, he had a life that was heading in a certain direction and encountered the glory of God on the road to Damascus and changed everything. And now here he is, once a persecutor of Christianity, now he's saying, I'm willing to lay down my life on, for the sake of this Christ. Remember the resurrection, Timothy, because when days get hard, when times get tough, when people desert you, when you see persecution coming, when you feel humiliated, when no one else is around you to encourage you, you have to remember the why behind the what. Never forsake it. Never forget it. I'm suffering like this to the point of being bound up like a criminal. And he says, but God's message is not bound. He's basically saying, this is so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger. It will stand the test of time. Even the gates of hell will not be able to stand against this message. There are no borders. There are no boundaries. There are no limits. There are no walls. There is nothing that can stop the message and mandate of God. And Paul goes, this is why I endure all things. It's why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's saying it's so worth it for the sake of the world, for the sake of others, for the sake of my hurting neighbors, for the sake of my dysfunctional family, for the sake of my crazy uncle. <laughs> it's so worth it. Their salvation, Paul's saying, the salvation of that one is worth my life. That's what he's saying. They are important than me. The resurrection is your why. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. And it was worth it for, if it's worth it for Jesus, listen, it's gonna be worth it for, for us. It's, it's gotta be worth it for us. Verse 11, this saying is trustworthy. For we, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Little encouragement there. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But even still, look at this, 13. If we are faithless, our God still remains faithful. He can't deny himself. Even when we fail, our God is faithful. He wins. See, these first 13 verses, Paul, through this passionate plea of imploring Timothy to be strong, endure, and to be dedicated through the grace of Jesus, he's saying this is so important. He goes in, verse, or, or second thing I want you to see today. Number two, he's basically saying be gentle in grace. We said be delicate because we like alliteration. Hopefully you'll remember this. Be dedicated. Be, de be delicate. Be gentle. Be gentle. Now listen, Paul's about to get in some themes, and you're going to see he's going to come back to it over and over, which probably means there's a depth of importance here that we need to kind of catch on to, okay? Here's what he says. He says this. Thinking about being delicate, be gentle in grace. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before God not to fight about words. Don't fight about words. Don't get lost in the semantical gobbledygook. Don't fight over words. This is in no way profitable and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now, this is so deeply important. Please listen. He's saying, in other words, watch your words. 
Words matter. Don't waste them to no profit. Words have gravity. Words have meaning. In fact, being an image bearer of God, when God speaks words, he creates worlds. Words have such meaning and power and gravity. Words spoken in certain ways carry authority. Let me illustrate. There's so many students right now of the younger generations who have been so wounded by words. But watch this. There's a lot of us in here who've been living through the wounds of words that happened when we were adolescents. Words are powerful. And Paul is saying, listen, man, do not miss it. Be gentle. Be delicate. Don't fight over these things. Don't use words in such a way that it would ruin your ability to be heard. And and don't use words in such a way that it would ruin people's ability to hear. So important. And here's why. This is a real problem in our culture right now. Man, in our social media keyboard warrior trolling world, (laughs) we got a lot of hashtag, hashtag caps locked crusaders going on right now. You know what I'm saying? Man, they're ready to pick a fight. It don't matter what you say. Nice, beautiful hue of blue today in the sky. That is not blue. It is violet. How dare you, racist? I mean, seriously, that's literally the world we live in right now. That's where we are. It's just some things for us to think about. Paul's saying it way back then. We're still dealing with it today. I mean, here's some questions to think about. Do our action reflect Paul's instruction? Are are we more concerned with seeing people coming to know Jesus or making a point in Jesus' name or sharing our opinion and baptizing it in Jesus' name? See, it's deeply important to Paul that Timothy understands this here and here, and and he's saying, hey, you got to help others' disciples. You got to help them to understand that as Christ followers, we got to be gentle, we got to be delicate. Third thing I want you to see we got to be discerning. We gotta be discerning. Discerning. Verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. We've gotta be able to rightly divide the word of truth so to rightly teach the word of truth. We've gotta be able to have the wisdom and the mind of Christ to, to, to allow Holy Spirit to empower that word and to plant that word not only in our mind but in our heart in such a way that when we need it for something that we are walking through, it is recallable right there. Your word I will hide in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We've got to be discerning in this. We've got to work tirelessly with godly character. In other words, listen, it's not about optics. It's really about authenticity. It's not about how you present yourself to people. It's about how you present yourself before a holy God. You've you got to be able, I'll say it this way. We can fool our friends, but we can't get it past God. So we've got to be discerning in, in what's coming at us and how we're acting and reacting to it. Look at what Paul says. He doubles down. Verse 16. Avoid irreverent, empty speech. He comes back to it. Why does he say this? Because he says this, this will produce an even greater measure of godlessness and their word will spread like gangrene. Another translation said like cancer. So he's given this very, this horrific um, 
illustration, if you will, to how a bad word, an irreverent word, an empty, hollow word, a hateful word, a word of gossip or slander. He says, it will spread like cancer. And then my man calls out two people that he wrote down in a letter that now we are still talking about. (laughs) Hymenius and Philetus. How'd you like that to be your cousin? Well, that's my cousin Philetus over here. But he's saying, don't be like them. He says, they've deviated from the truth. They're saying stuff like the resurrection's already taken place and are overturning the faith of some. They're talking about some sort of eschatological thing and, and they're just, they're pulling people away from what's real. They're causing people to not care. They're causing people to think it's already a done deal. Listen, we don't want this to be our testimony. A good way to think about it is like this. What message is it that we want to spread do we want to spread the heart of the gospel or do we want to spread a heart of ungodliness? So therefore, just like Paul is saying to Timothy, be careful of this, watch this. I think too, we have to avoid profane idle babbling. That's actually one way that one translation said this verse. Avoid profane idle babbling. That took me down a road, man, I wrote and wrote and wrote and I was like, that's a whole other message. So just know that went on the cutting room floor, it will come back, all right? This is what he says, avoid it. These things could be things like gossip and slander and speaking words that tear down rather than building up. Paul's saying, when we do this, we reflect one who has strayed from the truth. So we've got to be gentle and discerning, unlike those who turn away and overturn the faith of some. Look what he says. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, having this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. This brings up the fourth thing that I want us to see today in Paul's final words as he's encouraging Timothy. Number four, we got to be holy. We got to be holy. We said be different. We, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta walk in purity. We are to be set apart. So important. There is, a, there is a hurting, wounded, wandering, aimless world out there who is just begging. I mean, they are desperately thirsty for something authentic and something that's actually true. In a world of amorphous, ambiguous, goal line, skating and moving things that we call truth, people are desperate for it. We want to earn the right for them to hear it. Therefore, this is why Paul is saying these things to Timothy. You got to be different. When the world looks at you, do they see something that's set apart and holy, or do they see something that looks oddly like them. Therefore, what makes this God thing that you call good necessary for me if your life looks no different than mine? It's not about moral superiority. It's about a changed heart that leads to change action. It's about a changed life that leads to a different level or I should say maybe a different desire of behavior. It's about something that puts a filter in your heart and your life that, that I just say is really called Holy Spirit, that when those things come against you or when you begin to see things with your eyes or hear things with your ears, which is, by the way, the door into your heart and your mind, 
And that Holy Spirit within you, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that lives within you, says, this is not becoming of a son or a daughter. And you decide, I'm not going to partner with it. It's, again, it's not about moral elitism. It's about a changed life and a changed heart. And so Paul's saying we got to be different. And he gives this illustration. Now, in a large house, there's, only, there's not only gold and silver bowls, but there's also those of wood and earthenware, some for special use, some for ordinary. Anybody have fine china in your place? Anybody? Is that kind of a done deal? we got a few people. I was such an like, accident-prone kid, like, there's no way. People who came to my wedding were like, I ain't getting that crystal thing. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> we don't have it, right? But I get it when people do. And I think it's so cool when people, when their families have those traditions where all of a sudden you know it's a special day because mom broke out the fire child. You know what I'm saying? And you better be on your P's and Q's, right? Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if anyone purifies himself from these things, of course, in every large house, there's all kind of stuff. There's all kind of people. But for the one who purifies himself, God's going to use that one as a special instrument. He's going to set that one apart because it's different. He says, different, it's useful to God. It's useful to the master, prepared for every good work. It's that Ephesians 2 thing. Your life is the masterpiece by which God, the artist, paints his self-portrait and then releases you into those good, amazing things that he created for you to walk into and live into before time even began. He had it planned for your life. Be set apart. Be used for a special interest. Listen, church, if we want to be moment ready, prepared for every good work, if we want to be used by God to make an indelible, eternal difference, we got to be set apart. we got to choose purity. Verse 22, obviously Timothy's younger. Remember, don't let anyone look down on you for your age, et cetera, et cetera. He says, flee youthful passions. But can I tell you this? May I submit this humbly? In our society, we got a lot of people, whether they're 13 or 103, who are still struggling with youthful passions. And so Paul says it, flee them, but yet don't, don't, don't pursue the youthful passion. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, not youthful passions. Youthful passions may give you pleasure for a second, but they're going to give you a lifetime of shame. And the enemy is going to use it as a tactic to keep you in a prison. And watch this. It's like we start this life apart from God, wrapped in a, 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 a straitjacket with, with handcuffs on, locked behind many, many, many prison doors. There's no way we can ever get ourselves out. Jesus comes in. He flings wide the doors open. Doesn't even need a key, by the way. All he has to do is look at them. He rips off the straitjacket and he takes off the handcuffs. But by and large, so many of us just stay right there in that comfortable little cell because we don't really want to know what's on the other side of this. This is all we've ever known. And God is saying, no, 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 listen. Flee that stuff. It's going to give you a lifetime of shame and chains if you pursue the youthful passions, the youthful, lustful passions. Instead, pursue righteousness. Jesus has set you free. Walk out of the prison cell. Take off the grave clothes and walk in the forgiveness and the freedom that he died to give you. And pursue righteousness and faith and love. Can I tell you something? A call to follow Jesus is a call to holiness. It's a call to purity. A life in Christ is a cleansed life. And we've got to live from that place. But we also have to visit the Lord. Maybe if you're like me, daily, 
twice, three, four times a day. Psalm 139, search my heart, O God. Point out whatever you find in me that may grieve you because I want to see you move. I want to be able to discern what it is that you're doing. I want to be different. I want to be able to discern it because you tell me in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. I want to be able to see your movement, God, because I want to be able to join you as you're moving there. We got to be diligent, different. delicate. Verse 23, reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Do you think that Paul's kind of serious about this stuff? It's like, man, he's just camping here. Reject the the foolish, ignorant disputes, knowing that they breed quarrels. He says, be different, Timothy, as Jesus was obviously different. You know, you got to think about how many times did Jesus encounter the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and all they did was argue all the time, you know? Hey, instead of helping that, that, that hurting one, let's just go argue about theology. I know that so-and-so says this, but I say. Even Paul, I mean, Paul, when he was Saul, he was well in his way. Listen, man, if you wanted to see a Pharisee of Pharisees, that would have probably ended up being Saul's life. Persecutor of Christians, moral superiority, elitism, that's who he is. And here he is now in a prison cell, marching toward his deathbed, and he is writing Timothy saying, man, you better avoid this mess. Paul could have come to us with persuasive words and big theological arguments. He could have probably broken it down for us because his ministry was to the Gentiles. His ministry was to Rome, big time. He could have probably given you all the Greek meanings and all the Greek words. And it wouldn't matter if you need a life raft. No one cares as my friend Chris Hodges, who I wish was my best friend, my good friend. I don't know him. I call him my friend. But anyway, as he says, when people are hurting and drowning, they don't need to know how to say life raft in Greek. They just need a life raft. And so Paul is saying, man, do not argue over this mess. Don't get yourself entangled in all this stuff, man. Don't do it. Just be holy, be different, be set apart. Paul even said, I don't come to you with persuasive arguments, big theological stuff. Those things are good to know. But at the end of the day, a demonstration of the power of the one who can save you is what's going to change your life. Our last point, be deliberate. Be deliberate in grace. Everything is in grace. Be deliberate in grace. Be deliberate with our interactionals, our interactions. Be intentional. Um, verse 24 says, The Lord's servant, the Lord's slave, must not quarrel, but be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient. Avoid the foolish disputes, the feckless arguments. It's ignorant. I mean, Paul even calls it ignorant. He says, Avoid it. To be deliberate is to be discerning, to be gentle. Let me give you a PS. Don't attribute, we cannot attribute our opinions on others as God's. We can only give him the truth, people, we can only give people the truth, but the best way to do it is a life well lived. Servants of God, he says, they don't quarrel, they're gentle. They don't antagonize for the sake of argument. Rather, they display the fruit of the spirit. He's saying, Timothy, listen, ensure that you are able to teach, be patient, Be kind, correct people in humility for the sole reason that God may grant them repentance. Why? Because God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? So he's saying our kindness and our gentleness and our humility, in a moment of correction when you have to do it, that moment could be used by God to display display the kindness of God, which then could lead to someone's repentance. 
so that they may know and embrace truth, so that they may know and turn away from false teaching, false ideas, false doctrines, so that they may know the reality and the love of Jesus. He goes on talking about in 25, 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, that they may repent and honor and obey the will of God rather than honoring the will of the devil. Look at it. Instructing his opponents, 25, he's saying, instructing the enemies and the opponents of Jesus, instruct them with gentleness. And I love this language. This may bother some of us, but I I love this language. He says, perhaps God will grant them repentance. You know why I love that language? Because it reminds me there's nothing I can say or do to make someone come to know Jesus. But you know what I can do? I can be delicate. I can be delicate. I can be different. I can be deliberate. I can do all these things that were so important that Paul said, Timothy, don't forget. Timothy, I'm in my last moments here. I don't know how long I've got. I I only have a little bit. Listen, write these on your heart. And if you'll do these things, Timothy, people, listen, it's so important. It's so worth it. People may come to their senses and they may escape out of that prison that the devil has them in. Don't forget, be gentle. And perhaps, perhaps God will do an amazing work here. Hey, Timothy, don't force God on people, but rather be like God to people. And perhaps, perhaps God might change their life. Perhaps God might pull them from the brink of destruction and suicide. Perhaps God might see they may see the kindness of God and reconcile their, their fractured, broken marriage, perhaps. Trust God to be God, Timothy. So Timothy, be more like God when dealing with people. Be kind, because it's his kindness that'll lead him to repentance. And I think God is saying that to us today. Hey, listen, faith cannot be forced, but grace can be given. And perhaps, perhaps God might just change some lives. Why? Because eternal and abundant life is at stake for those that God puts around us. So I kind of feel like that we should passionately seek the perhaps because it's worth it. I've heard of more and more people here in the last few weeks, crazy stories of, of people losing their lives. And it makes me think, you know, it's like the, God's always timely in his messages that I feel like he kind of brings up to us. And I mean, we, we have no idea if we're in our last hours ever, if we're in our last minutes ever. And I'm sure that some of these people that I'm hearing about that, you know, they're dying for this or that. They, they may not have known. And I heard of a situation just two days ago where some friends of mine had a friend that passed away and they were going and being with that family and this person did not know Jesus. And man, I begin to feel the weight of that. Can I tell you something? Please listen. I begin to feel the weight. And the weight that I was feeling is how many people in my sphere of influence, people that I know, 
How unloving is it of me to not, A, live a life that shows God to be attractive in every way, and B, not be willing to lovingly tell them the greatest, most important message that they need to hear, which is about a God who passionately loves them and pursues them and has so much better for them than we could ever realize. Not to judge them, just to say, listen, you have a God who created you and loves you passionately. Gosh, we gotta, we gotta keep in mind the why. Because it's, hey, if you're like me, it's easy to let the what get in front of the why. And then all of a sudden you're doing business as usual. Anybody else, is that just me? Does anybody else find yourself sometimes focusing on the what and not the why? We gotta remember the resurrection, just like Paul told Timothy. We got to be strong, meaning we got to be dedicated. We got to be gentle, meaning we got to be delicate. We got to be discerning. We, we got to be holy. We got to be different. We got to be deliberate. It's just like that quote sometimes. It's not about the instruction. Samuel Johnson said it. People don't need to be, re- they need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. So let this be a gentle, loving reminder from our faith father, Paul, right? This is what we got to do. This is what we're called to be. I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, um, today, in fact, here in just a little while, we're on the countdown. We're going to load up in the car, and I'm going to drive Jaden to Nashville to go to college. And while I'm not in my final hours, I hope, um, I have been thinking a lot, actually for some time. In fact, a couple years ago, I downloaded this app. There's just godly app, spiritual app, right? Called Parent Something. And and um, every day, somewhere in the evening, I would get this little, little, this little, uh, what do you call those things? Went bing, a uh, little, that alert thing, whatever that is, little tool of the devil. And um, those little alerts, they are, man, little distracting devils. But that little alert would pop up every night. And it would be like, you only have 200 more days with your son. And he'd be like, you better do this. And so I'm like, okay, that's really good and godly. And I feel failure, right? Like that's what, it's like that little app was just outlining. Yeah, that's how I felt. Finally, I had to delete the thing. I was like, this is not good for my spiritual walk, you know? But it was important because when when I found out what that app did, I was like, this is so important. You know why? Because what I was feeling was what Paul was feeling when he was writing to Timothy. I was feeling the weight of there will be a day very soon when he is out from under my care. What are the things that he needs to know? What are the important things that he needs to hear? What are the things that I know I want him to remember and keep in mind? I'm sure the next four or five days of his life is gonna be the worst because it's gonna be me and Kelly going, hey, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. I'm gonna put Kelly in the car when we come home and she's gonna be like, hey, don't don't forget, don't forget. He's gonna be like, in Jesus' name, please go away, right? But why? Why? Why, why, why do we do that as parents, right? Here's why. Because not only do we love them more than we love our life, and we also want the best for them. But even more than that, I know that God has something significant for each one of my boys. And I only have a certain amount of time to do as much as I can. And you know what? I have not always done it well. It's interesting when you think you've got all the time in the world and then you're looking in the last few hours. But I want to do everything I can. And that's the posture that Paul's coming from. And that's the posture that I think that we've got to hear it from 
It would be so easy for us to read the words of Scripture like the outside world does and find everything to be offended by. Or we could see it for what it is. And it's the love of the Father saying to us, time is short and the world is worth it. So what is the letter that you're writing? What are these things that you need to be saying, not just with your words? Remember, those are powerful things, but with your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for the privilege that you call us, that you give to us to be your disciples, to be an image bearer of God, to be one who reflects the truth of Jesus to those around us. So Jesus, thank you for your grace. Help us to be strong in that grace. Help us to be gentle in that grace. Help us to be discerning and wise in that grace. Help us to be holy, to be deliberate. And Father, if there are some that are here today that have never surrendered their life to you, I pray right now that you would grip their heart with that gentle, kind love that only you really can pour out upon them and let them know it's time to surrender. Right now, in the moment, let them know. Let their hearts begin to beat fast. This is their time that you're calling them so lovingly. You want relationship with them. It's not religion. It's not, it's not just about church. It's, it's really about a relationship with you. So, hey, churches, we pray right now. If you've, if you've really never surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've tried to be moral, good. Maybe you've tried to earn something. Really, it's just about surrendering your life and your will to Jesus. And if you want to do that right now, pray with me. Just pray something like, Jesus, I want you to take over. You be in charge. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my will to you. I need your forgiveness. I want your freedom. Jesus, would you help me put to rest all of my painful pasts, anything shameful from all of the yesterdays and make me new? Would you empty me of all that stuff and fill me now with your Holy Spirit, I pray. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer today, would you please fill out one of those connect cards, put it in one of the give boxes on your way out or take it to that tent that you passed by when you came in. Maybe you're here and you've taken steps away from God. You feel like you've turned and you've been walking away and maybe you feel isolated and alone. Maybe you feel like he is so far, but listen to me, he is so near. Simply turn around right where you're at and just say, Jesus, I need you. And I promise he's right there. And maybe your prayer would sound a little bit more like, Jesus, I have strayed away. 
but I need your nearness now. And would you change my mind and change my heart and help me walk in your spirit, I pray. Stir up the passion in my life. Renew the joy of my salvation. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a big hand clap for all these doing? Hey, real quick, before you go. Um, we have started DNA. In fact, today we launched DNA, which is a brand new thing for those of you who may want to know about the church or know about how God uniquely created you. We're going to have two of those sessions in, in September. Go to declaration.org and sign up. Uh, it's really a great thing for you to go be a part of. You're going to learn the vision, the heart, the culture, the values of this church, this house, and, and all that we built, believe that God's called us to as a people. And, and then you're also going to learn about how God created you to make a difference. And so we would love for you to be a part of that. Can we one more time just celebrate the goodness of God, all that he's doing, the people's lives that were changed today. Come on, give him your best. Come on.